Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. Welcome to OCC. Today we're in our second message on this in this series called Dangerous Prayers. And we're if you missed last week's message, we, we began by looking at uh, the prayer Search Me, and you can catch that message, if, if you want to go back and look at what, what we started with, that's on our website. We also have a, a podcast. You can listen back to some of our previous messages. Uh, but what, here's what we looked at. We looked at how prayer ignites the power of God in our life. That's what prayer does. It ignites God's power in our life. And when we're praying, we're actually talking to someone who has all the power in the universe to work. When we talk on a human level, like let's say you go to the store and you need help with something or you, maybe your car is having problems, you can go to the service manager and you're hoping they have the ability to solve your problem and you give them your car and you give them your credit card and then you know, you're hoping they can fix the problem. They may or may not be able to find the problem. I mean, most of the time they can find the problem. Uh, but sometimes we wonder if people on a human level can really solve the challenges that come up in life. If, if the person I'm talking to, whether a friend, a family member, a person, a customer service uh, employee, has the power to, to do anything about our dilemma. When we go to God and we actually pray and bring things to Him, this is a very different conversation. He has all the power, all, all the resources to be able to answer. He can, he can change things up. Because with Him, all things are possible. And so, when we pray, it can ignite major change if God chooses to respond to us. Now, God always hears our prayers. He's, he's listening to us. But, as we learned last week, He loves it when we pray specific prayers, bold prayers. He wants us, He invites us to approach Him boldly with confidence and to bring all sorts of things to Him. So, I hope last week... Was a help to you as we as we looked at learning to pray the prayer "Search Me," based out of Psalm 139. I, and I hope you took some time last week to get alone with God and ask God to show you what He sees in, in your life. That was really kind of the takeaway assignment we, we we left with last week. Now, "Search Me," last week's prayer, that can be a pretty frightening prayer to pray. God, search my life, scan my uh, my entire life, scan my thoughts, sift through. All the gunk, all the motives, all the attitudes, all the actions, and highlight anything that you see in me that's not pleasing to you. And we talked about how that's kind of like walking through an x-ray machine at the airport and that whole TSA experience. And you know, it's funny, I was traveling last week and we had a frantic TSA experience because we got to the airport. We didn't get there late, but there was this huge line. And we thought, uh-oh, we're in real trouble. Is God going to give me a sermon illustration here for this one? Because <clears throat> it turned out there was just too many people at the same time. And so it got to a point where we weren't going to make our flight. And there was a, another, like the supervisor, and he came and he told the people at the back of this line, which was stretched around the building, hey, there's another line about two-minute walk down the terminal. It's a canine line. And... You can just go, and there's a canine dog, and he'll just smell you as you walk by. <laughs> so I was like, 
Now we'll stay in this line, and then it was really clear we needed to try something because we weren't going to make the flight. So we, we chase down the hall, get in the canine line. There's a canine dog. There's a pleasant dog, you know, like a golden retriever, real happy-looking fellow. And uh, he's just sitting there, and he's sniffing, and, uh, you know, it says don't pet, but he's the kind of dog you'd want to pet because it was a friendly-looking dog. And then I'm thinking, uh-oh, what if, like, what if they're wrong? And what happens is the dog just snap into, like, Cujo mode or what, you know? <clears throat> anyway, I passed through the line. My wife passed through the line. and uh, But then at the, at the front, one of our boarding passes wasn't scanning. So we had all this trouble. We eventually made it. We were the last ones to get on this flight. And it was, uh, it was quite an adventure. I thought, is God going to do something just because I preached about this whole area of TSA scanning? But anyway, we got on that flight. So today we're going to look at another dangerous prayer. And here it is. It's the prayer, break me. Last week we talked about praying, search me. This is another challenging prayer. It's not a very safe prayer to pray, to pray. Break me. Most of us, we like for things to stay together. It's, when something breaks, it's not, a, it's not a happy thing for us. Whether it's a bone or whether it's something important in your life. Antiques, electronics, fine china, cups. You know, we like things to stay intact and together. And so in prayer, praying this personal prayer and asking God to break us is, is far from safe. Typically, we like to pray safer prayers like, God, hold me together, right? I mean, maybe you pray that. I feel like I'm coming apart. God, would you hold me together? God, would you, would you keep me together? I feel like I'm unraveling and it's just challenging right now. God, please keep me together. Why would we want to pray the prayer, God, break me? It's... it's it's dangerous to do it. Because if God answers that prayer, what is that going to look like for, for you? What would it look like to be broken by God? So I want to, I want to illustrate this with two stories from the Bible. <clears throat> These two stories actually illustrate and reveal to us a pattern for Christ followers today. So if you're here today and you're not yet a Christ follower, then meaning you've never really hit a turning point where you've yielded your life to Jesus Christ and made Him the boss of your life, if you've never done that before, then consider this another opportunity to get more clarity on what it would mean to make that decision and actually follow Christ and surrender your life to Him. <coughs> Sorry. I'm getting over cold. Well, let's, let's dive into uh, two stories from the book of Mark. Mark is the second book in the New Testament. So the second division of the Bible, there's it's two parts it's broken up into. And so the later section, the New Testament second book, it's written by Mark. Mark is the scribe. He's the writer for a man named Peter. So Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples, closest friends, followers of Jesus. And Mark is the scribe for him. So he's writing down a lot of things that are intended to be passed on and circulated for the church. Mark 14 gives us some really interesting accounts leading up to Jesus' death on the cross. And so this account is just within maybe 10 days to a week from Jesus' death on the cross. And it's Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. You can follow along. It says this, While Jesus, or while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, okay, Bethany is a town, okay, while he was in this town called Bethany. Uh, Bethany was a place where Jesus did some amazing miracles in the town of Bethany. One of those miracles was he healed this man, Simon, clearly, because for people to be gathering in Simon's house, you're going to learn that there's more than just Simon and Jesus in this house. Uh, uh, 
Simon would have needed to be declared free and clear from leprosy because uh, leprosy is a is contagious skin disease. You can't have any contact with people. People that were lepers were the outcast of society. And so Jesus is gathering in this man's house who formerly had leprosy, but he was known as Simon the leper. How do you like to be known um, with the tagline of who you used to be, you know, um, in your own life? What would that even be, you know? He was known as Simon the leper, and now he's healed. But also, in this town of Bethany, was a man named Lazarus. Lazarus, he got sick and died before Jesus could come and visit him. And when Jesus arrives at Lazarus' home in, in the town of Bethany, Jesus raises Lazarus to life. And so, here in Simon's house is Simon, this former leper. Lazarus is there. Uh, Martha is there, Martha, and Mary comes in. Mary, look at the next verse, is this woman who comes in. John chapter 12 actually gives the same account, or the same story, but from John's point of view. And so, in the book of John, as in many of the, the, the first four books of the New Testament, you have these stories where from the different eyewitness accounts, you have different details that are outlined. So Mark says there's this woman, and then John 12 reveals that this is a lady named Mary. And Mary is sister to this man named Lazarus, who had been formerly raised from the dead. I'm telling you all this because it's important to understand the scene here. Jesus is gathered in a home full of people who have extreme gratitude for Jesus. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, Simon would still have leprosy, Lazarus would be dead, Martha, the sister to Lazarus, and Mary would be grieving the loss of their brother. Okay? So these people are gathered in this home, and a woman, this is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, she comes in, it says, she comes in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. It says that she broke that jar. So this, this jar of perfume called, or made of pure nard, this is an undiluted, concentrate form of the really costly perfume. It's made of this oil from this plant that would be extracted from, um, from India. And so this was expo- like, or imported high-end fragrance that this lady has. So she comes into the home where Jesus is, and it says this, she broke the jar of perfume and she poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Now, this was costly perfume. It's the type of perfume, again, it's been imported, that would have, saved, would have taken Mary a long time to save the money to, to have this amount of, of perfume. This is not like the, the buy two colognes for $25 special that we find at the mall, Right? Where you're like, oh, I can get that scent and that scent all for $25 and a pair of sunglasses, too. You know, this is the good stuff. And so she's got this high-end fragrance. This would have, this represented more than just that she liked to smell good, okay? This was costly um, fragrance. Here's a picture of some alabaster jars so you get an idea of what, what she's carrying. These, these jars were carved from fine Egyptian marble. And these alabaster jars would have a long neck with only a small opening at the top of the jar so that only a small amount or just 
A few drops of the perfume could come out at a time. Okay? And Mary does something that appears unthinkable to do. This costly perfume. It says she broke the jar, meaning she probably broke the, the top or the head of the jar off so that nothing would be restricting her ability to just liberally pour this perfume on Jesus' head and anoint Jesus with all that she had. Now, you might be thinking, this is a weird scene. Like, what's happening here? <clears throat> well, what it is, is this was a custom. This was a custom. Anointing someone's head with oil was a custom. It was actually an act of honor. And this is something you might do to a special guest who comes in to visit you in those days. Visit your town, visit your house, and you are giving them royal treatment. But she goes way over the top. It would have been enough for her to just give Jesus a little bit of this oil and anoint his head. That would have been enough. But she goes well over the top, breaks the jar, and pours this in gratitude and honor for Jesus because of all that he had done in that town and for her family. Now this whole scene brings a mixed reaction to everybody in the room. Uh, clearly, there were others in the room. John 12, actually, it, it gives you the same story again. And you can see some of who was there and who's speaking up. So in Mark, it says this. Some of those present were saying indignantly, meaning they started to get angry, to one another, why this waste of perfume? This, this seems excessive. And then verse 5. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages... And the money could have been given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And in John's account, we read that the instigator of this kind of the angry, critical remarks was Judas, the betrayer. The one who was greedy. His heart was full of greed. He was about to betray Jesus. And Judas, he's saying this. And he just can't believe what Mary has just done. This was, this was worth so much. And this just seemed... Over the top. Just think of what that money could have been used for. And Judas is probably telling all the disciples, can you believe this? We could have done so much more ministry if, if we would have saved some of this. And Judas was just suggesting she should have held some of this back and kept it for later for something in the future. Now, I could camp out right here on this because the question comes up, when should we hold back or when is it time to offer up? And this is a very important part of this passage here. When should you hold something back or when should you offer it up? Now she, Mary, offered everything that she had in that moment. It represented a great deal. And people started criticizing her. Now look at verse 5 or verse 6. Jesus silences the, the group and says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And he says in verse 7, the poor... You will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. Now, she bought up, Mary bought up this opportunity on the front end while she still could to honor Jesus. She bought up the She had something she could give and offer, and she gave it all up front, on the front end. And Jesus is saying, look, she... She is clued in to something. She did something beautiful here. She did, she did what she could. Says so She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. He's only about a week out from his death on the cross. 
And what, what had happened was Jesus on many occasions had been talking about that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again. Well, a lot of people, when he would say that, they would, oh, this is metaphorical. This is symbolic. He's just, or they just weren't listening well enough and it just kept flying over their heads. But, but Mary caught carefully his teaching and she knew Jesus was about to offer up his life. Because that's what he said he was going to do. And so verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So this is a story that has gone on. What great faith in action. I mean, she gave high honor to the Lord Jesus while she had the opportunity to do so. And it's a powerful story. And it represents several different things. And I want to... I wanna, it's different how, you, how we'll tie this to prayer, but I want you to see kind of the theme of what's happening here in the story. This gift, it represented a few things. Number one, it represented her past. Everything in her past, all of her, probably her earnings and her wages, you know, this jar of perfume represented uh, her savings in many ways. This also represented her sin because she's, she's pouring something out on him. She's really offering herself to, to him like my life. I'm going to follow you. All of her working to get to get right with God, to be right with God, this represented all of that. And this was just a deep, sacrificial offering of everything. And God moved her in that moment, moved her heart, and she just she she poured it out. She offered it up to Jesus. This gift also represented her future. Because of how much this would have cost. Think about this. If you had stored up all your savings and you purchased a few costly items with money that you'd worked hard, you'd want to keep those things safe and protected. You wouldn't just crack those things and you know, give those things up easily. I mean, this represented her future. She was trusting Jesus with her savings. Because if she had just poured out a few drops, or maybe, maybe more than a few drops, a handful of drops, and, and, and given a liberal amount, she could have still saved everything in that jar. And if times got rough and rocky and she ran into financial crisis, she could have sold off that perfume to feed herself or her siblings. And, you know, but she was trusting Jesus with her savings. She was trusting Jesus with her provision for the future because she took that opportunity in the moment to do it. And Jesus declared that this story would be told for millennia. And it actually has. And sure, she could have just held it back. But she broke this jar and she poured it out. And Jesus commended her for it. This is a beautiful thing, he said. Now, how would this translate in our lives for us to, to break things that are precious to us and then pour them out and offer them up to the Lord? What, what is it that this would look like for you and me? What are we trying to hold back? What are what are we maybe tempted to hold back? What part of our life are we maybe keeping to ourselves or just giving little amounts to God or little drops to God or little slices to God? Is there anything that you've, you've not given God permission to have in your life? Or here, God, you can have a little bit of it, but I reserve the right on the bulk of that. For this gal, this was the most precious thing she could offer up. And I, I guess the question for us is, what is that in our lives? What is so precious that we might be tempted to just offer him a drop rather than break the jar and say, here, you can have it all. What is it if you can identify it? For some of us, you know, some of us can get real possessive of our time schedules or, or just our, our management of our time. 
We like to be in control of our time. And maybe that's the area. And so maybe it's this morning, maybe it's an opportunity to check in with God and say, God, does my schedule, does my time use, does that really honor you? Or some of you here, you might, you might be a planner and you might, you might be working out your plan and then maybe it's time to offer up your, your plan and check in with God. God, is, is this my plan or is this really your plan? Or some of us, it might be tied to finances and we have a financial plan that we're working on and working on and working on. Again, it's maybe the opportunity to say, God, I want to check in with you on this plan. Or maybe it's habits habits that we've formed and is there anything at all that you've just not given God permission to have in your life? Ask God to show you. Now I want you to look at the very next passage that comes up in Mark. Mark 14. It starts in verse <clears throat> in verse 12. It goes on. It's about the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. And so speed up. It shows up next in the book of Mark. But even though it comes up next in Mark, it's about a week later no longer in Bethany, now it's in Jerusalem on the Thursday night just before Jesus' death, okay? I want you to notice the wording that is used here and how similar the wording is to what we just read about what Mary did with that jar, okay? Look at Mark 14, verse 22 through 24. While they were eating, this is the Last Supper, they were eating, Jesus, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Look at the next verse. And then he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he offered it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said that to them. So Jesus offered everything up. He's, he's symbolizing this through this Last Supper. He breaks the bread. He, he said, This represents my body offered up for you. This represents my blood poured out for you. And you see this, the picture, broken and poured out. Just like Mary breaks the jar and pours it all out. It's an interesting connection here that is placed in the book of Mark. And Jesus himself in the Last Supper, he didn't hold on to his rights. He didn't hold on to his privileges. He was, though he was God, he took on flesh, the scripture says. He took the role and the nature of a servant, humbling himself and eventually dying in the most painful manner, he offered up everything for us. Now this dangerous prayer, if we put this into a prayer, this picture, this is a prayer, God break me, where we hold nothing back and we offer up our life, our time, our resources, everything. We offer it up to him for his service and his purposes. And so the question is, are we willing to express that type of prayer? Are we willing? For some of you here, you've, you've done this. You've prayed this prayer because maybe when you became a Christ follower, if you've done that before, then maybe this was this, maybe the prayer break me or, or is similar to when you just committed your life to Jesus Christ and you said, God, I'm done trying to keep it all together. I'm, I'm a broken person. I'm humbling myself before you and I surrender my whole life to you. And you've yielded everything to him. Maybe you've, you've already done that. And that's a process, and God's certainly not done with that. There's maybe this, there's a wrestling match going on in our heart, but, but maybe you would say, you know, I've decided to do that. My life is yours. And that's a major decision once in your life, but then it's a bunch of little decisions to keep saying, yes, I surrender, and I surrender, and I surrender. You keep going through this point of offering yourself up. Because whenever we start holding ourselves back or start trying to protect ourselves or try, start trying to save 
portions of our life or aspects of our life, then this type of prayer is where we recognize we're trying to hold us ourselves together again. And it's just an opportunity for us to say, God, break me. I'm pouring myself out again for you to be used for your purposes. God, I'm giving you control again. And then time goes on. God, again, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to fill myself up and hold myself. God, just break me. Help me to humble myself before you so I can be used by you. And we need this type of prayer because we get filled up with ourselves again and again and again. And we need to keep breaking ourselves and surrendering ourselves to him regularly in all sorts of areas. And it's at this point where God can then work through us to bless the people around us. So if I have the courage to pray, break me, then God can use me. And it takes courage to pray it as we, as we share. And I want you to look at a couple of verses from Psalm 51. So let's back up to the Old Testament. Psalm 51 comes from the life of, of King David and some of his writings. King David, powerful man, most powerful you know, person in that area for that time. He, king of Israel, if he wanted anything... Because of his power and position, he could have anything. And, and he chose at points to go after things that were out of bounds. And he sinned against the Lord. And because of his sin, God had to bring him to a point of brokenness before he could use him again. In Psalm 51, it's just a powerful collection of, of cries to God out of David's state of brokenness. So look at Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. David He declares this. He says, God, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. If it was just enough for me to sacrifice or offer something up, money, an offering, an animal. You know, in those days they would offer up animals, animals as sacrifices to God that represented resources. And they would, you know, that that's like we would give money. They would give animals. And and, and so he's saying, God, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't. Take pleasure in burnt offerings. And then he says this, the sacrifices of God, the things that God would most want, are a broken spirit. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And what we see here is there's a feeling that when we mess up, we need to somehow make it up by buying God off. And David's saying, if there was an acceptable sacrifice that I could offer up to get things right with you and I, God, I would do it, but there's nothing good enough, is there? That's not enough. It's not about working harder. It's not about, you know, trying to be better. We tend to think, as long as I can keep God happy, then He'll just leave me alone. David's saying, if there was a sufficient sacrifice, a payment to be made for my wrongdoing, then I would have done it, God. David was willing to pay whatever price he needed to get things right. And to make things right. But the problem for David, and it's still true for us, is that our sin debt is just too large. It's too massive. Our sin debt is too deep for any of us to pay for our wrong in a spiritual sense through some outward thing that we can perform for God. Only Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished, precious sacrifice, that, that's the only thing that could cover our sin. His sacrifice and brokenness paid for our sin once and for all. And David, he provides this helpful clarity that God's after a broken and contrite heart. It's when we come to the end of ourselves, it's our brokenness and our weakness that God actually accepts. If we come to the point where we just say, I give up, God, I, I'm, I admit it. I see me. 
I see what you see. And, and I just bring that to you. And offer my... If you, if you want to use me, if you, if you can use me, God, here I am. In all, with all my flaws, with all my weakness, with all my feelings, with all my past, with all my sin. God, use me. I'm broken before you. It's from that point that God can now move us forward. Because God accepts a broken and contrite heart. That's a picture of someone who's at the state of surrender. They're depending on God to hold them together. It's when we're broken and now we're ready to trust God because we realize we don't have to keep everything together. He's actually the one that holds us together. And so we have to keep coming back to this prayer where we're willing to tell God, God, break me of... And I don't know what that, what that needs to be for you, but if you were to pray that prayer today, what do you think, God, if you were to fill this blank in, what do you think God may point to in your life? Is there one area or two areas where you'd say, I think God's kind of putting his finger on this area that he wants. I'm trying to keep it together. I'm trying to present something and, and hold it together. But what is it you think God is asking you to surrender to him today or in this season of life right now? Here's a few possibilities. God, break me from addiction. Break me from addiction. Are you stuck? Are you struggling with something? You're trying to manage a habit that is majorly impacting all the areas of your life and you're trying to keep it together. Are you trying to hide something? Trying to present some, somebody on the outside that looks like they've got it all together but on the inside you're holding back this, this hidden struggle and... Maybe today it's just you, you sense God saying, that's the thing right there. Are you ready to be broken in that area? Will you offer that up to me? Will you get some help? Will you, will you get serious about breaking free and coming into the light in that area and surrendering? So God, break me from this addiction. Or maybe the, the prayer is, God, break me from pride. Pride can devastate your life faster than, than most anything. Pride is, is such a strong default struggle that we carry with us in this life. And we won't fully ever get free of our pride, but we have to stay after recognizing when our, when our pride is steering our life in a certain direction because it is strong and it is very destructive. And maybe it's pride that's preventing us in some way to reach out for help. And maybe you're struggling in some area. Maybe it's marriage right now. And you're struggling in your marriage. And you need to reach out. And you need to get some, some input and get some wise counsel. But pride is that one thing that is blocking you from picking up the phone. Or blocking you from being honest with anyone. And so it's just easier to just stay in the dark and look like I've got it together. I'm holding myself together. Or maybe it's you're trying to figure out what's the next phase of parenting. And, and you recognize there's some people I probably could ask for input in this area. I could reach out to them, but again, pride is blocking that. Or maybe you're just stuck spiritually. In your, your spiritual growth, you feel like, I'm not growing right now, and, I, and I'm too embarrassed to ask for help. Don't let pride rob you from growth. So God, break me of pride. If that's what it will take, God, break me of pride. I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint other areas, but this one keeps coming up to my mind, God. Break me of that. Or, or break me of control or from control. You might be trying to control the people in your life. You might be trying to control your, your, your co-workers or your boss, your roommates or your spouse and your friends. And it's, it's making you miserable trying to rule the universe. 
And it's actually making them miserable as well. And so maybe this is the prayer. God, break me of my need to be in control and to control others. I, just, I'm, I offer this up to you. Here's another one. God, break me of discouragement. When it comes to sin and failing, we, you know, we can so easily feel accused and beaten up of our past or the things we've done. And, and maybe today it's time to bring this to God and learn how to deal rightly and differently with sin and failure rather than letting discouragement just, just dominate your life. To live broken in whatever area, it means we're, we shatter the things that we're relying on instead of God. And we cling to Him and we fully rely on Him. And we move forward in that way. In a broken state, it doesn't mean that God can't eat. God actually begins to put us back together through coming clean before Him, through being broken before Him. He can work with that. If you've never yet committed your life to Jesus Christ, then God, maybe the issue for you is God just, Saying, hey, it's time. I want to break you of your life of trying to do everything independent from me. It's time to give that up and to yield your life to me. Stop trying to do life on your own power. And so I would just encourage you, take whatever step you sense that the Lord is asking you to take. As, as our worship team comes back up to the stage, these stories, these illustrate, I think, very in a very real and helpful way, the picture of being broken and poured out, and how God, and even what Jesus showed in the Last Supper, he was he was he's talking about a way of doing life. Jesus humbled himself; he was, you know, broken and poured out for us. And so this provides a picture for us to follow and to pattern in. And so I would encourage you: add this prayer, break me, to your prayer arsenal. Don't just rely on safe and easy prayers in your life. Search me, God. Break me. Begin to pray these things and see what God does through that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word cuts through to the hard issues that we're facing. I pray for this group. We thank You, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank You for all of the the guests that are here and and the the regulars that are part of our church family here. Lord, thank you for the work you're doing in our lives, the way that you're helping us reach out to our community and share your truth and the hope that we have in you with with so many around here. God, we pray that you continue to grow grow and expand our influence in this community for your kingdom purposes. But this morning, we recognize we will not get far if we're trying to hold ourselves together and hide things or hold back anything from you. And so, God, we just ask you to remind us, Father, this week, even now, do we say, God, break break us of whatever's holding us back. And this week, remind us, Father, to pray this prayer. Break me. Lord, and as we do that, I pray, Father, that, that you'd help us to have faith and to trust that you will put us back together keep us together, Lord, and they will rely not on our own power and strength, but on yours. So we love you and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.